Welcome to Ginspired, brought to you by theginshop.ca. This podcast will take you on a journey into the world of gin, where you'll experience this versatile spirit in ways you never thought possible. Now the host of Ginspired, Heather E. Wilson. Hello and welcome to Ginspired, where we talk about and celebrate everything about the wonderful juniper lace spirit called gin. I'm your host, Heather E. Wilson, and on today's episode, I welcome Brennan Kolbeck, co-founder and master distiller of Stillhead Distillery, located on Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada. And today we're going to chat about hmm, how it all started, their philosophy on product development and sustainability, of course, their gins, and so much more. So welcome, Brennan. Hi, Heather. Thanks for having me. So first, as with all episodes, we're going to start by sharing what we are drinking today. So Brennan, you get to go first. What are you drinking? So when I'm drinking gin, and I'm an extremely lazy cocktail maker, so luckily Fever Tree has me covered and they have this fantastic grapefruit soda that pairs really well with London Dry Gin. It's a rainy start to the spring here on Vancouver Island, but I'm hoping that that brings in the sunshine, which is supposed to come later this week. Ah, yes, lovely. Yes, I love the Fever Tree sparkling grapefruit. So good. I actually have a few cases of it in my head. (laughs) (laughs) It's the best. It's the best one. It is, absolutely. All right, so what I'm having is... Buck Road Bramble, which is your cocktail. And is it on your website or do you just provide it on the cards? No, I believe it is on our website. I haven't taken a look at the cocktail section recently. Buck Road is a road here in the Cowichan Valley. And that cocktail was imagined by my friend, Mike Norbury from Bartholomew's Pub in Victoria. Wow. Well, it is delicious. It's using your wild blackberry gin, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, fresh lemon juice and cinnamon simple syrup, which I personally love. I make it myself all the time. And a little bit of Angostura bitters and splash of soda water, which is super yummy. So anyone wanting the recipe, you can go to the Stillhead Distillery website, which we will put in the show notes for you. So give it a try. Super yummy. Okay. All right. Let's talk about you first before we get into all the yummy gins and all that so tell us about your background like were you always into gin always into distillering your life dream i wouldn't say it was my life dream i grew up in a city called prince george which is the center of british columbia i went to university i chose computer science chemistry was my favorite subject i know that's weird but I couldn't see a career other than working at a pulp mill or refinery at the time so took computer science Spent the rest of my adulthood in the tech sector and then had the opportunity to change careers. And I had made beer and wine before and had dabbled with distilling, allegedly, in New Zealand where it's legal at home. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just started crafting it and could see that thing I really liked about making gin and other spirits is you can make something completely new that nobody has ever had before. There's lots of space for creativity in the category. Right. And so you used some of your chemistry background a little bit. Yeah, really. And my tech background too. At the end of the day, a good gin recipe is a recipe that is repeated accurately again and again and again. It's an algorithm. Once the initial recipe development, now what we're looking for when we're having gin is the consistency. Right. So that education really applies well to distilling and helps us keep that consistency going. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about Stillhead Distillery. You know, tell me the story behind it and how it all started and definitely where the name came from. 
Right. So the name comes from the Cowichan Valley. I spend all my free time in the outdoors. So just some background, assuming that not everybody's been here in the province of British Columbia. So we have Vancouver, British Columbia, the large city most people know. Then we have Vancouver Island and Vancouver is not on Vancouver Island. It's a large island about 600 kilometers, I think, long. So pretty big island. And we are located just about an hour north of Victoria. BC. So our claim to fame is Duncan is the smallest city in all of Canada. It's a square mile. It's surrounded by the municipality. So there's about 70,000 people here, but we have the warmest mean climate in all of Canada. I wouldn't brag about that with this spring. It's been pretty wintry, but that's where we're located. So we are a temperate rainforest as well. So we have a river here in Duncan called the Cowichan River. Very famous. It's protected under the Heritage Act. And it has a famous run of steelhead trout, which is an anadromous rainbow trout, meaning that it goes to the ocean instead of staying in the river or the lake and gets really big, eating lots of things because the ocean is very prolific, comes back to the river to reproduce. And unlike salmon, it can then recover and go back out to the ocean. So a very famous sport fish. It's been stocked in the Great Lakes as well. They come in the winter here and then spawn in the spring and myself and others. They call it the fish of a thousand casts. It's a very famous fish to catch and beautiful. So I thought because I'm into fishing and hiking and being in the outdoors, we were going to name it Steelhead Distillery. But then somebody misheard me and heard Stillhead Distillery. And I thought that was cooler because it just refers to the top of the pot on a still. And also my still is made in Germany and there they pronounce it steel anyway. (laughs) 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 That's cool. All right. So when did you start the distillery and like what came about to like, hey, I'm going to start a distillery? (laughs) Probably a little bit of naiveness, but no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I quit my corporate job in May 2017. So then it was, you know, hair straight back. Not that I have a lot of hair left anymore. (laughs) We started distilling in July of 2017. So coming on to our six full years of distilling, we live out of town, have a little bit of property, and I thought it would be a nice fun side project to open a distillery building on our property, kind of farm gate style. Mm-hmm. But there's actually quite a few distilleries in British Columbia doing that model. And just like gin, I didn't want to go and repeat what somebody else is doing. Right. So we looked at moving to town and kind of skipping that step in our growth. The most difficult part in opening a distillery, in my experience, is trying to locate a facility that's zoned properly with the right services and that they'll allow you to build the distillery. And we were able to find that right on the Trans-Canada Highway So wrote a business plan and had some money and borrowed some money and just went for it. That's kind of the origin story. And here we are. And here we are. That's awesome. That's a great story. Okay. So you've mentioned a few things and you kind of hinted at it, that your own philosophy around product development, but tell us a little bit more about when you go to create a product, what processes do you have? What things go through your head? Like everyone has a different approach to developing products. So what's yours? Yeah, good question. So we have a lot of ideas that hit the discussion table or meetings. So we have this hopper of ideas, but realistically, my ethos towards spirit making is oak flavored or local flavored. So I spent a lot of time making whiskey. Gin and whiskey are two 
main spirit categories. So when it comes to making something that's not whiskey, it has to incorporate some kind of local element, whether it's a botanical or the grain or flavoring. And now that I'm in this six years, <laughs> the best thing, and I think a step that is easy to miss is who's going to buy this? What are they going to use it for? And there's three things that a spirit has to hit in my experience to be successful. One is it has to look great. That's the first step. It has yep. to look great on the shelf. Two, it has to taste good out of the bottle. So you have to be able to do a neat pour. And three, it's got to be easily mixable. And if you hit all those three things, what you want in owning a distillery is not for somebody to put the bottle, I have a bunch of whiskeys on the shelf that I slowly pick through. You don't want that. You want people to burn it. Like pour it for their friends, pour it at their barbecue, pour it at their garden party, and then go buy another bottle. So that's the kind of things that I look for. And then also, I know it's an old topic about a new business or a new product but what problem are you trying to solve not that we're solving any problems but how i look at it is where does this fit in the category are you is there already another product out there that you're going to be very similar to price to and it's very similar flavor profile and then we won't make that product right yeah well you always have to scope out your competition Yeah. And we don't view it as competitions so much. Like I know at the end of the day, we're all competing for consumers dollars, but a lot of the times I look to a different target market or we've had really good success because we've created unique products that are not replicated in the world and that serve our target audience really well. Right. Right. And because you're in BC, there are certain craft rules right? Don't you have to have like your grain or something right from BC? Yeah. So BC has the strictest craft distilling rules, but also they provide us great benefits. So how it works is there's one distilling license, but then there's a craft distillery endorsement. So you get a commercial distillery license that you can make anything for. And if out of that, you choose to make everything from British Columbia, you make your alcohol from British Columbia agricultural products, whether that's fruit or grain, you bottle no more than 50,000 liters in a calendar year, then you fall under a craft distillery endorsement. And what that allows us to do is to sell online, sell at farmers markets, sell to restaurants and private liquor stores directly and sell out our tasting room. And the benefit to selling directly is although we're still technically distributing through the provincial liquor system, we don't pay them a fee. We don't pay their markup or their cut which you wouldn't even, well, you would, but put it this way, you walk into a provincial liquor store anywhere in Canada, except Alberta, and probably two thirds of your sticker price is going straight towards the distribution system's fees. Yeah, which hopefully, you know, we will be continuing to lobby to change that. But I always tell our guests that the reason Canada doesn't have a prohibition repeal day that we can celebrate is because we haven't repealed prohibition. It's like an onion and they just keep pulling a layer off. It's like, oh, you know, you can buy gin on Sunday. You're welcome. (laughs) It's a slow, slow burn to improve the rules. And hey, I get it. We need to avoid underage drinking and overconsumption and stuff. So I get the spirit of it. But at some point, there must be a better way. There must be. But all right, let's talk about gin, though. Yes. Let's switch. All right. So you have some super, super yummy gins. So thank you. Yes. Why don't you walk us through them? And uh, yeah. And sure. So the one spirit that breaks the rule, (laughs) now that I've told you my ethos towards local (laughs) flavored and or oak flavored 
is our London dry gin. And the origin story for that is that was the second spirit we created. Vancouver Island is a hotbed for gin distilling. British Columbia is. And then a subset of Vancouver Island is most of the widely distributed gins come from here. So I'm talking about Empress. Yeah. Everybody knows Empress 1908 yep. and Sheringham, Seaside, Kazuki gins. Yep. Very phenomenal gins. There wasn't one that really captured just a true London dry. And that's what I drink at home. Mm-hmm. So because I own the business, I made it. <laughs> you do what you like, of course. <laughs> yeah. Although it has like the most boring origin story, it just continues to sell. And I do have plans to tie it into my ethos and make it from local Vancouver Island grain, which I'll get into later. Mm-hmm. But 43% super clean, Chris, really goes with any gin cocktail that you can come up with. Nothing floral. I'm not a huge floral gin consumer myself. So there isn't really anything floral in that one. It's kind of uh, juniper, citrus, and spice in the juniper is quite not subtle, but it's about at the amplitude of the citrus. Yeah. Well, I have to say it's one of the best I've ever had. And oh, thank you. Larry, my spouse, he was like, oh my gosh, he was just loving it. Yeah, it's a really good go-to everyday London dry gin. Mixes with everything. Great in our martini. Great straight up. You know, however you like it. It's awesome. Yeah, and we try to price, although we make everything from scratch, so we're more expensive than your famous international brands. We try to price that one where it's a good barbecue burner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pour it, not feel too bad. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, (laughs) what's next? So then after that, I wanted to create something new, unique, that nobody had had before. And flavored gins were picking up. Actually, they're red hot in the UK. And here on Vancouver Island, we don't have like large orchards and things like that. But what we do have is this Himalayan blackberry. I'm not sure if you have that on PEI. We have blackberries, but not. Yeah. So this one is called the Himalayan blackberry. I don't believe it's from the Himalayas, but we always like to blame something invasive on somebody else. (laughs) How you can tell where Himalayan blackberries grow, where they'll grow, they're Mm -hmm. already there because they spread by birds. The seed survives. So they're everywhere on disturbed soil. And we have a lot of people here who live in the valley who go and pick them every August and sell them to bakeries, restaurants, wineries. And a couple of wineries, Cherry Point Winery and Avril Creek, they were making a blackberry port style wine. So a friend of mine said, well, why don't you make something with blackberries? So I set out to make a flavored gin Mm. with wild blackberries. Now, wild blackberries are a huge pain in the butt. They come in buckets because Mm. they're all wild. So every day I go get two to $5,000 in 50s, 20s, 10s, 5s, tunies, and loonies and pay maybe 100 pickers between $20 and $100. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And then we juice them at a winery. My friends at Enrico, what we do is we make a gin base. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. So let me get back to the origin story. So we set out to make it. I wanted the blackberries to be kind of like a botanical and that they're the star of the show. And I always worry about making too many flavors. Like I know there's gins with like 20 some botanicals, but in my research, humans generally can't pick out more than six or seven. So I reduced the number of botanicals down, increase the juniper, increase the lemon to punch through the blackberry juice and use the blackberry juice instead of water to proof down the still strength gin. Oh, wow. That's different. Yeah. So generally off the still, we're usually around 80% alcohol by the time the gin distillation is done. It doesn't work out to half, but 
but if you wanted 40% gin, you would add that much water again. We do add some water. It's mostly to mix the sweetener, which is honey, but the rest is blackberry juice. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we set out juice to blackberries and then put it all together. And I wanted to use Canadian ingredients. So we don't make a lot of honey here. We don't have a lot of nectar, but the honey is from Alberta. So instead of using sugarcane, we used honey and the honey flavor definitely comes through. Mm-hmm. 37.5% because when we did our bench trials, like that's where it kind of presented itself the best. Mm-hmm. And that's the standard for flavored gins yeah. in the world is 37.5. Yeah. And then that's pretty much it. And then it took off like wildfire, really. It was new. It's beautiful because it's got that intense red. Blackberries are actually red, they're not yes. black, but that intense red and it seems to stand out pretty well to color fading and it's just a super simple drink whether you're having it on the rocks or soda water or light tonic for that one i always recommend the fever tree light tonic which is less sugar and fantastic with lime then we send it away to the world gin awards we won best flavored in canada two years in a row we were hoping for best in the world but we lost out to a turmeric gin so you never know what (laughs) whatever yes you never know and it was 46 percent. so what people categorize as flavored gin is different in the world yeah but that award we still have difficulty keeping up to that product and that this is four years later oh it's very 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 tasty and not crazy sweet which I have found flavored gins sometimes are overly sweet, but yours doesn't seem to be. Realistically, everybody thinks they don't want any sugar in their cocktail until they try it without. Yeah, exactly. Ethanol in the presence of acidity does not go well. No. So we've added basically, I always say, I think if I recall, it's 7% sugar. When you go down to it, it's 7%. But when you extrapolate that out, two ounces in a cocktail, it's really like we're talking a few grams of sugar and it's honey, which most people, sorry for vegans. I actually didn't even know that vegans didn't eat honey until later. But I have another gin for them if that's also equally as good, I believe. Well, Uh, honey drinks. Okay, and then there's one with blood orange in it. Oh, I sent you. That's right. I was trying to think which one. That one's actually my favorite. I love it. Oh, sweet. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) That one is not available on the market, except at one restaurant. So (laughs) if you've never visited Victoria, highly recommend it. Very unique city. And the cocktail culture there is really, I believe, is on the forefront for Canada. And we've paired with four different restaurant bars for custom products in the last two years. <laughs> Actually, it was probably in 18 months. It was quick. We owe a lot of our success to the relationships we've built with these restaurants. But there's a restaurant called The Hallway, and they wanted to do a custom gin project. I thought, yeah, that's great because I have these flavor profiles that I haven't done yet that I'm cool with. So continuing on the local or oak flavored, I really like blood orange. Like when you distill it, the citrus of all the oranges I've distilled, that's my favorite. They're only in season for a little bit. So I quickly bought a bunch and distilled it. And then what I had done was I've been wanting to use local peat in our whiskey making. So to back up, peat is just tens of thousands of year old decomposed vegetation. Here on Vancouver Island, it's woody debris. It's old ancient trees. But if you take that and you light it on fire, if you dry your malted grains, then that creates the smoky profile we know for peated whiskeys. Right. What I did was I actually smoked the juniper berries on the barbecue. On the barbecue. (laughs) 
so yeah, I just kept misting them, wetting them down and smoked them over the course of a day and then ground them up and distilled them. And so that was my local element was it was the juniper was smoked with local peat. Mm. It had blood orange in it. And we brought it to the hallway. They loved it. And that first batch is 120 bottles. So if you want to try it, you have to go to the hallway restaurant in Victoria. That's right. Or come visit me. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> if you mention this episode and you come to the distillery, I'll find a bottle. Put it that way. Taste test. Yes. Yeah. A little secret passcode. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And then you also have. Yeah. We have. It sounds like a lot. It's not. I think we're at 330 barrels of whiskey full right now in aging in our warehouse. That takes a lot of work because at max we can make currently with our system, we can make about three barrels a week. Okay. So that's 110 weeks of distilling whiskey. But I have these barrels and I'm always thinking the oak flavor now that fits mm-hmm. in with gin, right? And, and barrel aged gins, they can be hot or cold. And I've made bourbon barrel aged gins before. And first year it was a fantastic barrel and people bought it by the case. And then the next year customers are onto a new product Mm. but i really love peated whiskey and i can't get peated malt here in bc with my license but what i can do is buy old scotch barrels from Mm. peated distilleries and then age my whiskey in that and then i had talked to my friend josh out at monashi spirits and i had sold him i don't know how many of the, the barrels and he had put gin in it. You'll have to get him on the podcast. He's fantastic. And he doesn't distribute it, but he had said it was like, hey, I put my gin in it. It was fantastic. So I thought, oh, what the hell? So I took two peated whiskey barrels and filled it with our London dry gin and let it age. And then I've always been fascinated with the Navy gin category. And, you know, what better way to introduce people to peated gin than to introduce it at 57% alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) And for those that don't know the story of Navy strength gin, that 57% alcohol is considered Navy strength. And that is historically rumored to be the most water you can add to a spirit. So 43%. Spill it on gunpowder on a rocky Navy boat, dry the gunpowder out and still use it. So every spirit that came on a Navy ship had to be 57% or higher. Yeah. We are the home of Canada's Navy, or at least on the Pacific. Sorry about the Atlantic. So we released it and then it's been this like little unique cliche product and one liquor store has reordered it three times and I don't know if I'll make it again, but that's kind of the fun of limited spirits. Cool. Okay, so what other experiences, products, things do you offer at your distillery? You do have a tasting room, I'm assuming. Yes, Yes, we are in a transition state. So we've had a tasting room for six years. We've always had a tasting room where you can come in, try it. Our tasting room license allows us to serve you like three half ounce little cocktails, which we do in the summer too, but only using our other spirits. But Because we're in this region where we have a lot of tourists, we are a small wine region, so we have wine tourism. And because I'm a huge whiskey collector, we wanted to provide like more of an experience to our guests. So I'm happy to say that we've been working on this for 18 months, but we are expanding. We've doubled the size of our distillery. The tasting room is moving next door to adjacent space. We have a full lounge endorsement, which will allow us to serve cocktails we'll have some food much more seating we have seats for up to 50 tour experience and not related to gin although i probably will collect a gin collection as well we want to be an educational center for whiskey Mm. so that lounge license allows me to buy other 
people's whiskey. And my friends, Eric and Lura Fergie, who just retired and owned Fett's Whiskey Kitchen, had a bar and restaurant that held 2,600 different bottles of whiskey. So yeah, last week, the reason I'm a bit tired this week is we just went and purchased their bar, restaurant, everything. And they have this mezzanine called the Stairway to Heaven, which holds a thousand bottles probably. So we're having all that at the distillery. So I'm installing that next month and we hope to be open by July or August. Wow. All right. So do you have a Jensident story for me? Oh yeah, sure. There's lots of Jensident stories. Sure I'm trying to think. You let me know that you're going to ask this question and I'm trying to think. So I believe in positive mindset. So I try to forget these stories. <laughs> <laughs> But the one that sticks to me the most is during the pandemic, we shut down and then we switched our production to hand sanitizer, as many craft distilleries did. Our customers and guests are fantastic supporters, but they also went and bought a ton of gin and drank that at home. So then I depleted my gin inventory making hand sanitizer for the hospitals. So then it was like, we need to like get going and get this done. So we were distilling seven days a week, 12 hours a day. I loaded the still and, you know, maybe we do like 250. So like, let's say 700 bottle batches, right. but I pushed that to about 900, a thousand bottle batches. So the wow. still is really yeah. like full to the max. Yeah. You turn the steam on yeah, and it's like walking away from a rice, you know, spaghetti boiling kind of thing. And like what you imagine. <laughs> What happened is the botanicals come to the top of the still and then they boil up through a return tube into the column. And then the column is probably 12 feet tall. And I have ended up with grain halfway up the column before doing mm -hmm. similar things, rushing, being busy. Mm -hmm. And I managed to get botanicals all the way to 12 feet up. And the <laughs> non-distilled stuff is brown, right? Like the yeah. juniper tree. And then I had brown mud actually coming down the 10-foot condenser and out the parrot and into the tank. So <laughs> I'm sure there's other craft distillers that have this story. But the biggest problem was all those little botanicals plug all the drains in it's a four-plate column. So you just like thousands of liters of water to try and wash it and poke little... Sticks or something. Yeah, like I don't remember what I used, but found something. Skewers, uh, like for chicken kebabs. Yeah, you need something. Oh, it was bamboo things. It's like a P-trap, so it's got a little J on the bottom, so you need something soft. But that was okay, but at the very top, I go to the top of the ladder and at the top of my Arnold Holstein still is called a catalyzer. And what it is, is this perforated copper mesh, which is actually an interesting story and actually makes the still one of the reasons, a small reason why our spirits taste good is the contact with copper. Well, there's 30 square meters of copper in this perforated block thing at the very top. So all those perforations are full of coriander seeds and pieces of oh. cinnamon. Okay, so I scraped it all out and it's sharp and cutting my hand. And it's through an inspection glass, like about, I'm trying to think my hand. It's probably five inches wide. Right. And the only way to get all the botanicals out of that mess was to flood the column. So then you close the return and close the vapor tube. And you flood it with water. So you fill this mm. tube 10 feet full of water. And then I was scooping because the botanicals float. Most of them float. And then skimming them off the top into a bucket 10 feet up a ladder oh to try and get these botanicals out. Yeah, you know, like my hands are all scratched up. And the copper is not dirty, but it has a film on it. Yeah. So like it makes your hands like orange kind of and that was the worst, and that one sticks with me. But honestly, the blackberry gin and rhubarb, you can't Google this stuff. It, no. There's no good way to filter blackberry sediment. It's got this elasticity to it. 
and because it's a natural product, every year is a little different, right? Whether it's dry, hot, wet. Right. And this year, last year, I can't even remember the weather we had last summer, but last year's harvest is one of the worst for sediment. So if you took blackberries and tried to press them between your hands and squeeze the juice out, you just spray your face with blackberry (laughs) stuff all over. So you have to add rice hulls, which is common. They just create little spots for the juice to flow out. So you mix the rice hulls, you put it in a bladder press. The first press is like amazing juice, right? No sediment. You could make it in a cocktail. And then the very last has quite a bit of fiber in it. Not the rice hulls. Well, anyway, this last blackberry gin batch that I just made, uh, I had numbered every barrel of juice, depending on whether it was the first or the last. And I used the last, put the gin base in it, and the thing is like three-quarter sediment. So I'm currently working with my winemaker friend to find an agent that will allow those sediment pieces to stick together and drop. So I have 500 liters of blackberry gin that has these sediment pieces just kind of hanging out having a good time oh no you know if the earth was 2g like Mm. twice as big then they would probably drop but blackberry gin it's my nightmare and i always tell people that new distillers careful what you make because if people like it you need to make it again and again and again (laughs) i'm always learning something with that and really the answer is to really make a clear blackberry gin perfect every time is centrifuge but the centrifuge is hundreds of thousands of dollars and not currently in scope so there we are so blackberry gin is always full of surprises for me there you go those are definitely gin students and i bet you will never overload the still ever again I try to stay off the tools as much as possible because my role is better spent talking to you or being out with our retailers. But I'll get a panic call from one of our distillers and like, don't worry, how high did you get the botanicals? I'm like, oh, well, don't even worry until you get them out the parrot and in the collection (laughs) tank. I got you beat. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) All right. So we're almost at time. Is there anything else you'd like to share about anything? This year has been a focus on whiskey. So six years old, we have quite a bit of mature stock coming to age, but I haven't forgotten our gin fans. So we will have a new gin eventually. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but continuing on the local flavored. I started using, oh, actually I'll back up. I wanted to use local grain for our gins just to get even closer to, right? If I come out to PEI, I want to have a PEI spirit. If you come to Vancouver Island, I want to have a Vancouver Island spirit. So Vancouver Island is not a great grain growing region in that we're very wet in the winter and very hot in the summer, but rye grows pretty good here. So rye is a notoriously difficult grain to mash and distill. It's high in beta-glucans. It wants to be Red River cereal, not wort or beer, which is why we picked it as the grain we focus on primarily with whiskey which is i don't know we have obviously like to torture ourselves but our 100 rye whiskeys have been extremely popular and i found a local farmer here that grows rye so i bought all his supply and i wanted to change our blackberry gin formulation from a wheat base which is kind of the most neutral palate in my opinion for a spirit to build a gin on to a rye base which has that if you've had pumpernickel bread or rye crackers it always has a peppery finish and Mm. i thought i would just adjust the spice botanicals and then be like a very very local provenance based product well when we made the rye so you got to make vodka before you make gin when we made the vodka out of the rye 
it was so tasty and so unique and so surprising that I was actually going to quit making vodka altogether. I always say I make vodka to make gin and for people that don't like gin and then I try to talk them into gin anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that we released that whole product as a rye vodka. Which one? best temporary vodka in Canada this year at the Artisan Spirit Competition. So anyway, that sidetracked my rye gin idea, which will be in the works, but I got to get this lounge opened and right. we got new tanks and yeah, try to eat and sleep and yeah, never dull moment. Yeah. So I think that that would be a 2024 project, but if any of your listeners on Vancouver Island, please come down you know, mentioned Heather, this podcast, we always appreciate when people spend their time with us. And we're always, uh, we have some special tricks up our sleeve and something that you're not going to see that pull out of a cask or out of a bottle. There you go. All right. Well, there you have it. Everything you ever wanted to know about running Stillhead distillery product development philosophy. So many yummy, yummy, yummy products what's coming up next, and so much more. Thank you, Brennan, for being here today. Thanks, Heather. We look forward to you coming out to Duncan to the new lounge. Oh, and by the way, I've actually been to Duncan before, years ago, so I know I'm primed and ready to come. Perfect. And thank you for listening. Be sure to leave us a review and check out the show notes for links to Stillhead Distillery and the ginshop.ca for all your gin clothing and novelty needs. Until next time, remember, if you walk a mile in my shoes, you'll end up in a gin bar. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ginspired, brought to you by the ginshop.ca. If we've ginspired you, let us know by leaving us a comment and a review. Or drop us a note at heather at theginshop.ca. We may even read your email or feature your ginspirational story in an upcoming episode. And remember to follow us on social media. Until next time, let the party be gin.